Happy 420, friend. How's it going today, Lizbeth? Hey, hey, Cole. It's going great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? I'm really excited. Really excited to talk to you. New month. We're, you know, uh, trying to finish the quarter strong. Yeah, you know, you were a guest when we tried something out that I'd love to try uh, again here in the future, uh, possibly, you know, depending on on the way the crowd reacts to it. But we just had an impromptu podcast and you joined. So if people are wanting to listen to your first appearance, we'll have it linked in the podcast description. But I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and introduce yourself uh, or reintroduce yourself rather um, to our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Cole. My name is Lizbeth. I am the new executive director for the Illinois Independent Craft Growers Association. Thank you so much. I've been in the space since 2016. I was a cannabis marketing director for a medical cannabis dispensary, which is now Hatch and has gone recreational. And I was really at the forefront of the pilot program and got to see it go recreational when after a license, as you know, as our press interview, I had a little had to share what I had been working on. And in this new venture of um, getting to see the new side of craft grow and the new wave of recreational cannabis, as you know, many of the craft grow licensee holders are social equity. So we are working to move an agenda that allows for greater access, greater canopy size, but also to build that community aspect as operators. Having been in this space for so long and getting to see people fall in and out, um, getting to see original teams not reach the full potential, um, I am excited to be taking on this role to help cultivate some community and foster some some growth for us as not only on the um, association side, but as consumers. Well, thanks again for for sitting down with me and congratulations. It's really exciting news. Um, I saw that earlier today and um, was really excited that um, well, that we already had time booked together because now we can talk about it, you know, so. And shout out for being flexible because I am so excited to come on and I love podcasts as well. And I listen to yours often. And so I was like, Hey, we've been wanting to chop it up. I'm big on let's jump on the calendar. Thank you for being like quick to let's do it. <laughs> uh, that's how when musical things happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. That That's so exciting. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways um, uh, that we can go with this, but yeah, I think that first of all, Again, it's the Illinois Independent Craft Grow Association. Is that correct? Craft Growers, yes. Multiple. Craft Growers Association. And so they're an association that represents license holders, craft people that have won the craft grow licenses, right? Correct. We also have ancillary sponsorship and membership opportunities, but the goal is to foster our craft grower association membership with the current licensee holders and as well as potential uh, as the market continues to open up. Perfect. And uh, we'll, we'll put it in the podcast description. So um, like, no worries. I'm sorry to pop quiz you, but what's the website for uh, um, cool. Yeah. He pause. We'll pause that for a moment while I tell people that if you want to tune in to the video version of this podcast, there's a link in the description that will take you to the show notes, which We'll have the link that uh, Lizbeth is about to tell us. It will also have links to her social media, um, 
and and anything else that we referenced during the show, as well as a link to watch the video version of this podcast. So you got that website for me? Yes, it's Illinois Craft Grower. So I-L craftgrower.com. Cool, cool. Yeah, so folks, if you want to check out the website while we talk about this stuff, definitely do that. So um, it's very interesting. Uh, you know, you, you were uh, talking about the craft grow expansion. We can definitely get into that. I am planning on releasing an episode this week with uh, David Lakeman, who's the cannabis division manager at the Illinois Department of Agriculture. And that's a subject we discuss. I will say that at this point, there are still things that we're unclear on. Um, but I feel like I've at least, you know, found a little bit more about how the process is going to work. But Tell me, like, from your perspective, why this subject is so important for craft growers. I feel like it goes without saying, but for our audience, please explain why this is an important subject. Absolutely. I think for me, as someone who is coming on as not a craft grower, right, I'm coming on as executive director for the association, what really um, lured me in was the opportunity. As we know, there's so much advancement that could be made on the craft grow side that benefits the consumer, higher quality better branding, better uh, brands to support. And ultimately, I believe that the state had a mission to allow for this creativity slash minority ownership that has not been fulfilled. And the opportunity does lie in the fact that we know by the numbers, it just not does not make sense financially. It limits people's capacity. But it also, I think, at greater picture, it also limits our ability to be uh, operators for a longer time. Right. I think that a lot of people now up until this point had invested so much money to become operational that they haven't been able to. And so I think that while I'm remaining hopeful that people will continue to work through and build their teams, there is that financial strain. So we are working to support as many craft growers as possible to be operational. And I think that comes back to this idea of if they're limiting canopy size, we're only limiting the possibility for each brand to grow. Yeah, exactly. And so from from what I've been able to gather, and I don't know if like where your understanding is on this, so um, maybe this is like old news to you, but for our audience, um, what I've been able to gather is that you have to start out at that 5,000 square feet, and then you can incrementally expand your canopy, and that's by 3,000 square foot increments. Um, I've not been able to deduce that you could just open up at 14,000 square feet, which is super unfortunate uh, for folks that would like to do that. Um, are you under the same understanding? I'm just curious. Yes, and there's more regulation as you're being capped, but there's ultimately is a cap. And starting at that with their construction plans and how they're allowing to become operational and the um, inspections that they need to pass is capping them at that. Gotcha. There's, did you say there's more, uh, I was aware that, that compliance plays a role in whether or not it's actually a bit, a pretty big role in whether or not you can expand the canopy. You just mentioned, uh, like possibly more regulations as you move up. What exact, what exactly did you mean that by that? So that's something that we're further going to explore what that's going to be as the canopy increases, what that regulation is going to be, but as gotcha. it stands, it's, for my understanding, again, very much like yours as I'm entering this space is when they're first turning in their business plans and the way that they're planning out and showing to the state, it is capped. Yeah, gotcha. Um, 
yeah, it's so interesting that that we're deciding to do these limitations. And it seems like the spirit of these limitations, what the way I've been explained, is to prevent a glut in the market. Have you heard that that's like the regulatory purpose of those limitations? I have heard that. And this is a time that we can further explore and question that. Because what does that mean exactly? Without right. pointing fingers, what is the quality that we're so worried to lose? Yeah. Can you, well, can you kind of uh, elaborate on that, please? Like, so from my understanding is this idea of being able to control the quality of the product and the market and as a whole. And so the collect kind of um, guaranteeing the integrity of the product. But to me, and from your research and stuff that you shared, what is the quality that we have been protecting when they have not been transparent on the big player side yeah. as to the quality of their products. Um, this is the also interesting thing that will come about this position as well as we move into the space is how do we work with bodies of uh, our legislation that will allow for us all to succeed? Because I think that right now we are speaking to each other and we're not necessarily listening to each other. Um, we have this new legislative session, which is almost a wash right? So it's up until the next one. Um, and that's something that I think as advocates, we need to stay more abreast of. I think that there's certain organizations now that are doing a great job of like, hey, submit this when we're tracking it. But as we move forward, and ultimately, I think this is the, the community stronghold of it, is being able to show how we are you know, stronger in numbers. And I think right now we're just too much in competition mode because everyone's just trying to become operational and shaking out to see where everybody lies financially. And as you know, we know that there's people that are going to beat others. You already had someone on your show who is on track or has shared that they're on track. And so I think the opportunity lies now in how can we show our strong community as well as some some force to grow together because we are going up against the tide. We are going up against the market that has pretty much been established. I mean, it became recreational in 2020, but even on the medical side, it was always just very specific as to who was growing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I've, I mean, I guess I've heard about that with regard to a glut, the, the question of quality, but really what I, the concerns I've heard with regard to a glut, and I keep using that word. I don't like that word. What I, it's the word that whoever I spoke to said, I think it may have been actually David Lakeman. Um, but what I mean by that is like an excess. Uh, I think Oregon, for example, had an excess, um, and, prices plummeted and you know you could get ounces for fifty dollars and people were saying you know this is really bad because people are going out of business because prices are falling so low and so those are the concerns i've heard with that and i don't i want to be very clear i do not wish financial hardship on anybody like that competition sounds brutal but at the same time should cannabis should the value of cannabis be artificially inflated you know, I think it's I think that these limitations artificially inflate the value of cannabis and the licenses to produce the cannabis. You know, I mean, you see some of these licenses uh, rumored, at least going on sale on the market uh, for thousands and thousands of dollars. And I think they only carry that value because there's so few of them, <laughs> you know. So, 
I think if we turn to states that are recreational, I mean, California is a great example. How many operators, how many, where are the caps there? And right. where's the struggle in that? I think if we turn to a smaller state and we compare the amount that we're producing on the, um, maybe we can run the numbers after the show and have the notes, but the demand is there. It's not the, it's not like there's no right. There's people who, whether you like it or not, come to Chicago, come to the state to engage in recreational cannabis. And so I think the opportunity lies in letting the market decide, having brands reach full potential. So then there is not only healthy competition, because even on the consumer end, there's no real loyalty. I think right now people are trying to get the most, the bang out of their buck because the quality is not there. Whereas if we were like California, where you have like, all these brands that people are like cookies, like people are, you know, so attracted to it, we'll spend the money, we'll have an experience. We have been locked out of that. And I think it's because of that limited competition. And I keep saying competition because that's what I view it as a, not only marketer, but like as a business development person, if we're going to treat this as an industry that it is, right? Because right now we're treating it as a cash cow. There are people who are advancing. There are companies that are growing. We have been locked out of that on the social equity side, uh, which is a whole other conversation that we can have about. But I think the opportunity is as consumers and advocates and now as organizations and our association, how can we apply pressure? Yeah. And and on that note, I know that you, we, I mean, we just were fresh off of the announcement of you being executive director, but can I ask you, um, you know, will you exercise your influence or do you know if the Illinois Independent Craft Growing Association, or sorry, I, I might be butchering the name there, IICGA, um, do you know if like where they stand on license limitations, like are would they, do you think they would lobby for more of an open market approach? I'm ready to have those conversations I have not had in the association. It is a very new opportunity, but I think it's good questions to have on the community and the consumer side and as advocates and pe- and members of the community, we will have those conversations because I think it's fair to ask. Yeah. Like, so the, re- I think the root of this question too is like, like, do you know, for example, how much does it cost to, to apply for a craft growing craft license, but then also like just to keep it because there's yearly fees, right? Do you, sorry, I know that that is like definitely run, pop quiz. Raw, no, we can run raw numbers because I also have experience on the application side. And there is yeah. multiple thousands of dollars because even on the reapplying, it's like, I think 20, 40,000 to reinstate. And they have to show like any other license type, a lot of their financial, their breakdown of everything. So it is not an easy license to continue to keep. Uh, And so financially, um, like for example, I have a transporter license that I'm working to become operational as well. I'll share that with you and I've shared it before and it's public domain, Um, but people I think right now are waiting to shake out and see deals. I think that's just the name of the game that it's been. We can have those separate conversations. I think right now what's going to happen is we are going to wait and see Q2, Q2 next year, what shakes up as far as like who sells, who stays, who's who has, you know, plant uh, seeds on the ground, who who's cultivating, who has where people are at as far as like seed to sale, how far they are in that, where we are in the next legislative term. Again, remember, they go on breaks. And so I think it's 
when we'll see most of the traction. I think right now everyone is in building more building mode and just rushing through um, getting finance, getting a location. There's still a lot of people struggling with locations. Deals fell through with locations because they had to wait for so long. Um, and so it's a waiting game, unfortunately. Yeah. And to circle back to limitations though, do you see how I'm, what I'm saying when I say like, we're kind of like artificially inflating the value of the license. Cause yes, on paper, you have all those fees and you, you will know that getting into it. Um, and then you have those recurring fees. These are all pretty capital intensive. And that's that, those are just application fees. Like that's in its own little circle. Then you have like the whole to, to just even get into the cannabis industry and build out a facility. Like you literally have to be, you have to have the capital. And so like, I don't know. That, that's where I've always been lost with our so, social equity provision. I feel like people that were actually disadvantaged by the war on drugs, and I don't mean to call into question whether or not the people that won were actual candidates. I'm not trying to start that debate. But I do feel that like, you know, if you were disadvantaged by the war on drugs, like, would you be in a position to have thousands and thousands of dollars for licensing fees and, you know, all the capital that it requires to to build out, like I say, it, it just, these limitations seems like it, they are exactly that, like inherently limiting. Um, they screen out potential candidates, you know? So let's have the cap conversation with the transporter license, because you bring up a really good point and it's good to broaden this conversation. And I think we can have a broader conversation overall. Yeah. And this is so, something you and you taught me about in the past, actually. So please take the floor. So the transport license have no caps and it's 189. As of right now, I would say maybe a handful have worked to be operational that got the loan from the state that either are part of a team uh, that wasn't a, a big player winning a, a transport license. As it shakes out now, a lot of them are going to be sold out in multi in multi tier deals, which I personally believe is going to happen. It's just going to be thrown on right a craft grower, dispensary, whatever. Hey, we also have a transport license. It'll be added to. So th that is your um, case study with capping. There's no one that has become operational. It is a new license. So I will say that is absolutely different, but so it's a craft grow. The craft grow is also a new license. I, um, craft grow is more cash intensive. Operator on operating on the transporter side, I was able to do it without even being fully functional or and not raising a lot of money as well. Um, bootstrapping it as they say. And so I think, as I mentioned before, it is going to be, we need to wait and see which teams are gonna continue the process, which who's gonna sell out. Um, then that ties into the capping for the craft grow, which on the, I think bigger picture is, the transportation is kind of an example of that. What happens when there is no cap, there is no real opportunity for competition. Um, it deflates completely the value of the transportation license. It's been so wild, cause I had, again, it's, it's people trying to advise you right in this space. I had a financial advisor say that the transportation license was worth nothing, which to me was like, that's insane. Versus someone saying like, hey, it's actually part of a multi-tier deal. Like if you do whatever, this was just like hypothetical numbers. If you sell 10 million for craft grow and infuser and then transportation, maybe the transportation is like one or two. So he was trying to correlate the value of a vertically integrated 
deal versus like, I'm just selling the transportation. I don't think anyone right now is actively just selling transportation. As we know, the MSOs, once they got their transportation license, they just added a role to their career page, right? It was just a very easy adaptation. So to bring it back to your question, um, I think it's worth asking, uh, how do we advocate for more licenses, but how do we also continue the advancement of the current license holders now who are so much farther ahead in the game? And tied to your earlier question too, as someone who, you know, we ha we do have to understand that it is a capital intensive game that not a lot of people are able to play. But this is then when I turn around, people say, hey, if you're an active participant now in the cannabis space, it is your responsibility to bring more people into the space. Illinois, as you know, is opening up the dispensary round for 250. So that is going to allow more uh, social equity applicants. Is it a money grab? Most likely. But is it going to teach people how to build teams, how to set an application, how to go to the, the bureaucracy process? To me, that's a win because I've had two conversations. People are saying, well, why are we telling people to go after these licenses if it's so unrealistic? Your point. How can we guarantee that social equity applicants even have access to build these type of applications? To that, I say pose the challenge and let people rise up to the occasion and teach people the fact like, hey, you have this opportunity. There's so, I mean, hip hop itself shows you, you can sell, you know, eighths, you can run a business, right? It's very much the fact that I think right now we're gatekeeping what a dispensary owner or what a craft grow license owner, what that looks like. Um, I get really passionate. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And, but it, yeah, in that you, you said exactly, you pointed out like, the fact you had been told that the fact that there were no limitations on the transport license, that it deflated the value and the conversely, the limitations on craft inflated the value. Um, it just seems, I think we're, we're, we're in agreement on this at this point, but it just seems that, uh, like the, the waiting game that the current licensees had and, you know, all these struggles that they're going through currently, hypothetically in a perfect world of course this is easy for me to say hindsight is 2020 right um if we didn't have these limitations none of these delays would have happened because it, all the delays were about hey but you you got these points on this application but i i should have got them because i had this and it's just like you know <laughs> that argument would have been absent if it if if the value of the license would have just been that fee you pay a fee here you go. And then, yeah, if you're not compliant or et cetera, et cetera, you can have that license yanked. Um, but anyways, <laughs> no problem. But yeah, I, you know, like I have to like step this conversation back a little bit because I'm not like arguing for the wild, wild west, like Oklahoma, I think even California, and maybe even Oregon, there are lessons to learn from them. But I think the lesson is uh, some polished policy initiatives people like Shalene Title have come up with, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but University of Illinois alumni, awesome person. And one of her favorite pro policy proposals that I personally really like is uh, ownership limitations. And the idea is to keep everybody, you know, at a to keep everybody's footprint, you know, equal. If maybe I'm phrasing that roughly, maybe you could say it better, but um, 
I wanted to step that back though. Cause it's, I'm not saying like wild, wild West, no rules, you know, uh, I want some rules to protect the, um, sanctity of the market, if you will. What I appreciate about you and what I also enjoy is like, let's have bigger conversations and not get stuck on our ideologies. So, Hey, I think that it's, it's good, good conversation to have. So I'm a big, a big fan of hers. I think that Illinois is trying to do that with this next round because I will dig deeper into this to get the language correctly, but you're only allowed to be a operating officer per application. This new round of um, renewals, like when I went through my transportation license renewal, it showed that you had to list any other team that you were a part of. So they did not do that before as far as um, vested interest. You did have to show like, oh, I will percentage. But now it shows a um, field if you have no ownership, if you're just like a supporting member, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So I want to, before I kind of like back off of the limited licensed uh, thing, if it felt like I was coming hard on that subject, it's just because I was really excited that you had just announced uh, or that it was recently announced that you got appointed as executive director of IIGCA. Congrats again. Um, I just have really been looking for a proponent to champion some of these values because it seems like and I am not dissing people, but Chicago Normal, for example, Illinois Normal, like a lot of associations that I have, a lot of people that I admire, like I, I get along with. And again, I, if, if people from there are listening right now, you should know that this is not a diss. I don't think anybody's championing this cause. And um, I feel like those organizations, including your, the, the one you're a part of, should be the one too, because because sure you said it earlier and i'm not trying to like dismiss the fact that there are people who went through this process fair and square but there are still people that would like to be a part of this process i mean earlier you said um we need to basically make it you said something effective we need to make it so there's not a demand for the black market right or the gray market however you want to call it we need we would like to, to segue people to the to the legal market right and uh, I feel like that would go a long way, you know, toward doing that. So, so I will rephrase that so you don't put words in my mouth. I forgive you, Cole. But okay. the, my ideology is creating a pathway for people to who want to be on the legal side um, to jump forth without having the constraints that come with typically starting a business, right? Not having the information, not having the uh not only financial, but also literal uh, knowledge, IP, and all that capital that allow you to build that. I think the legacy market will never go away. Let's have that conversation. That's never yeah. going to go away. Uh, but right now, as we're moving into, I wouldn't say advocating for the wild, wild west. I think it's more about, uh, I keep hearing leveling the play field. And that's so corny, right? Because it's such like, an easy way to tackle something that is so major as far as like the inability to fairly compete, the lack of um, advancement for so many brands who have spent all the capital, who do have great IP and, and great cultivators. I mean, there's a reason why some of these people may have won a license. Um, I don't think it's about dishing organizations. I think that I want to praise 
people who have been in the space for that long because we have made advancements. Is it perfect? No. Is it ever going to be perfect? No. Is it fair that folks like you and, and members of the community like myself ask these pointed questions and have these conversations? Yes. I also think that it's fair to acknowledge when people have been doing the work to move us forward. Um, to me, to me, what is the phrase? The uh, enemy of progress is perfection. And oftentimes we're our worst critics. And yeah. I am always the type of person who says, I can, I'm big on, I will clap for you in public, but reprimand you in private because that's how we build together. And so I am hopeful in that we can all figure out a way that we can advocate our um, interest together but also become members of the community because personally for me, it's about teaching folks about how to jump on the ancillary side. And I have a, actually we have a panel or a conference with the 25th ward, which hosts Pilsen, which has yet to have a dispensary or any traction called Conchas and Cannabis coming up this Saturday. That is going to be bilingual. That is going to bring people into the space. I think that we can do two things. I think that we can advance as plant touching operators, as well as become active members in the community to have these conversations, to teach people how to get in the industry, because the way that capitalism works is not everybody's going to win. And the way that my community building, and, and I think it has a lot to do with how was, I was raised culturally, is I would rather all of us win a little than not win at all. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, Well said. Um, I think another way of saying what you said, because again, I, that wasn't meant to be a diss, but, but people could see it as um, if you step just a little bit out of purity, I'm loosely quoting actually Barack Obama. If you step a little bit out of purity, uh, sometimes people can start what's known as a circular firing squad. In other words, we're all on the same side, like, you know. And so, again, that was not meant to be – to. but I just – that's a true thought. I, I, I'm not aware of anybody um, that really seems to be pioneering and, and pushing for, like, home grow – complete decriminalization and loosening of those licenses. Not that we wouldn't agree on that. I think, like you say, we, if we all sat down, we would all agree on those things. I guess what you pointed out is like, how can we, uh, maybe you can say this again, because I might phrase it roughly. How can we get the most for the most people or something? What did you say? Or How, how can we all win without a little, without not all having to lose? There you go. Very well said. Well, hey, we haven't even sparked up yet. I was just about to say, listen, this is your podcast. We're in a free world. This is America. We can ask any question that we want. And I think that's also the the joy that comes with being a part of this. It's hella hard. It's so much work. It's very competitive. It's heartbreaking. People are, you know, having to mortgage their homes. I mean, this is a real thing that people are trying to cultivate and for me, it's not about hating on folks' organization. It's about um, how can we grow together. And personally, sometimes organizations of color get more flack than white organizations because I hear a lot of folks' opinion about certain and not other who have been in the game just as long. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can believe it. I mean, no doubt. Those those prejudice the prejudice is still very real all of that shit is still very real unfortunately so what are you smoking on 
Oh, so mutual friend Kranja got some velvet. I, I should get the bag, but I think it's um, sour cupcake. Nice. nice. Yeah, I'm out California. Yes. Shout out. They're going to come to Illinois soon. We're hoping, right? You can manifest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's super cool what they're, what they're doing. I, I When Mike told me one time, uh, he's like, you know, if you think about it, I'm technically a multi-state operator. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And he's like, yeah, I have products available in dispensaries in multiple states. I'm a multi-state operator, <laughs> you know. As an English major and a technical person, that is true. There are trays here in dispensaries, Illinois, California. You can get bud. Hey, you want to be technical? It's technical. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, that's exactly it. You can get his trays in Illinois. You can get his bud in California. It's funny though. I, the reason I say that is because people, and I've made this point many times on the show. So for folks that listen a lot, I apologize. But it's a, I think it's an important point. People will be like, fuck the MSOs. Fuck, you know, the MSOs are the reason that th- this state is the way that it is with cannabis. And it's like, who are the MSOs? And they like, they'll name a few names, right? But I'm like, what is an MSO? <laughs> and they're just like, it's just a, it's just a big weed company. And I'm like, no, it's a multi-state operator. And in fact, I like to teach people that not all of the operators not all of the original operators are even multi-state operators. Most of them are, I'll give them that. Most of them are, but not all of them, you know. I like the idea of rebranding MSO because I also feel like, hey, I'm gonna go after all these different state license. And what I really admire about Kranja is they're black owned and vet owned. Mike gets a lot of the credit because he is the CMO, but Brian and Ryan who are part of the team and I had a chance to like connect are amazing folks who are also pushing the brand. And I think that they have a really high quality product. Their marketing is great. And one of the things that I think that it comes with the pressure of being multi-state is figuring out each state's play. So as you know, quality can change from state to state, but also there's opportunity to build community. Like they already had a great community out in California. And here's what I'm saying is the opportunity for the graft, craft grower here is how do you build your brand? How do you build your community? So when you are ready to, you know, seed to sale, when you are ready to package, you have that. Because I think if we look at brands like Kranja, who's out in California, being able to multi-state operate is having trays here and people asking about it. Uh, my business partner, Tiffany Woodman, who I love, every time that we go out to any dispensary in California, she's always mentioning Karanja because they just have a great product, right? The product speaks for itself. And that's what I get jealous about that we don't have here. What is the brand here in Illinois who has been able to like capture our hearts and our content? And we get so excited to support because they are a big brand, because there is a great, you know, marketing and person ahead of it as well. So that's what I get jealous about. That's what I'm like, it's going to happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like you say, I think it's like, it's, I don't know if redefine, you use the word redefine for some reason. I'm like that word works. I can't think of what we're going to rebrand it. Like it's, it's not going to be that's like, Oh, it's like people who suck. It's going to be a uh, cream of the crop who figured it out. Great brands. Yeah. builders. I mean, and the there exa- are some already. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's the example I use really quick. I, sorry, I feel like I cut you off there. Um, zoom is hard with the, the lag and stuff. Sometimes I talk over people, but the example I use is that 
I enjoy a good Coca-Cola with like a slice of pizza or a burger, right? And I know that in any state, no matter where I'm at, I can go and get a Coca-Cola and I know what I'm expecting, right? And so in that instance, they are a multi-state operator. And I'm like, that's the goal. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be everywhere for everybody, right? It's not an evil thing, you know? Like marketing 101 is like, you can go down a block and there's seven pizza places and they're all doing all right, right? And I think I'd mentioned that before because I also love pizza, but I think that it, I think it comes down to that competition capping overall conversation is how can we know that that is going to be the case if we haven't done it so? And capitalism, baby, some, uh, some companies are gonna fail, some companies are gonna succeed, but it hasn't even been that so far. And so I think that's why I keep traveling to California and then folks like us keep traveling to these different states that have not only the market, but the community, the experience, the, um, I had uh, another amazing shout out that I'd love to do is for Camille, who uh, owns a dispensary in LA called Willow, who again, yeah. amazing black owned, uh, super curated, the experience and everything that comes about it. And it's like, this is what it's all about is how can we allow entrepreneurs to bring about their ideas their product. Um, and on the consumer side, we're all just dying, hoping, praying for better bud. Yeah. So um, I got it. So you mentioned earlier, uh, thanks for bringing that up. It was really cool to get the market excited about what will probably be the first craft cannabis on the shelves. You don't have to name any names. We don't want to spoil anybody's surprise, right? But do you have a sense when other craft cultivators might um, be ready? And I realize that this announcement that I helped make might actually speed things up a little bit, but just at, do you have a feel? So, yeah. So I have heard just between this last quarter or Q1, um, but I have not had a chance to really engage with all craft growers. So this is more of like empirical data. I think that as it stands now, the, the players who are leading um, have broken ground or will be breaking ground. I listened to some of the pot. I'm going to be honest, you know, I never lie to you. I listened to some of it. And I didn't have a chance to finish just because I've been so busy, yeah. but I think that hopeful, wishful thinking is Q2. Um, I'm also not a craft grower, so I have no idea of where people are in, in the sense of their planning, but I think that it'll be very impressive. Whoever uh, is able to do it first um, and not even so much on the sense that, oh, um, it's this huge feat, but because I'm big on competition, hey, you don't, the best are not always the first and neither are the last. So I think it's about being able to see the model and how it plays out and, and how the market reacts, because we can sit here and clap, you, you got your plant first. Um, but again, not any commentary on any particular brand, but if when you're launching a product and there's no demand, that is when we'll be able to see, and that is the hole that whoever is next is going to fill. Um, and as a, as a marketer, really, when we talk about consumer demand, right now, I really do think that it's visual. There are, again, without naming the MSOs, there are certain SKUs that stick out because of the branding, because of the packaging, that when you ask somebody, oh, what do you usually get? They'll say, I get or I, I usually shop this, that it's because it's very specific branding. And, I'm, you know, we can talk about it, who it is off air, who I think right now is dominating on the MSO side. But um, the opportunity lies in 
How fast is it going to get to the dispensary? How fast are we going to see consumers react to it? There is already a hub of what I, you know, cannabis creators here who are, I'm sure are going to jump on it um, and have already, you know, we're starting to see the experience parties with some of the MSOs branded deals. Um, so we'll get to see how they interact with the community. Because at the end of the day, if, if you're not selling out on the shelves, it doesn't matter if you're first or last. Yeah. Um, sorry to bounce back to craft grow expansion, but I realized I didn't ask one of the main questions that I wanted to ask. So we were both on the same page on they start at 5,000 and then apparently, you know, they can move up in those 3,000 foot increments. But are you aware at all, like, do they have to be operational for a certain amount of time before they can ex request that expansion? I'm not sure on the specifics. I think it's worth going back into it and having the right legislative language. So then yeah. we can build off that. Um, Cause I would love to have that conversation with specifics. Um, I do not know them. Yeah, no, then this is the thing. I, I feel bad cause I've, I had that conversation with David Lakeman from Illinois department of agriculture. And I got like some semblance of an answer that it's going to be a form that, that, craft growers are going to be able to request and that it's going to be mainly based on compliance. And he says like, we're not trying to red light anybody. It's, it's green light, you know, like we're not in the way of not trying to get in the way. As long as you tick all the boxes and you show you're ready to go, you're good to go. But then I look at the language of the law and it says compliance. So that's easy, right? We can, I mean, as long as you stay compliant, that seems easy, right? Um, easier said than done sometimes, but there's a, market need and craft grower capacity, I think is the other, the, the two criteria. So that's what I was going to ask you about, uh, ultimately, like what that even means. And ultimately I'm asking Dave that question as a follow-up, but I just, I'm only asking you just because, you know, since you're starting to get involved on the off chance that you knew, you know, I appreciate that. It's always good to ask questions and yeah. I always expect you to be prepared to see, I'm ready. And I'll tell you when I don't know things. I think that's the beauty of podcasting. I think sometimes people like to shoot the shit and I was like, nah. Yeah, no, I mean, fuck. I, yeah, exactly. If you don't, if you don't know, and that, that's why I was trying to be clear that I don't know. It's not like I'm trying to like, be like, like you would give an answer. I'm like, nope, wrong actually. <laughs> or, uh, you know, any of those things. I'm honestly just curious, trying to figure it out for our craft growers, like people, I've talked to people that don't know these answers. So I, I was trying to ask you in case you did. Did I lose you? You're frozen. Oh, there you are. There you are. I thought I lost you for a second. Can you hear me good? You're muted. <laughs> yes, he's trying to figure it out for the audience. Yeah, well, for, for the craft growers. You oh yeah, I've sp spoken to different licensees, and they're like, I mean, the number one question is, can we open up to the maximum square footage on day one? And from what I can tell, the answer is no. Based off of my interview with Dave, based off of the way that I read the law, even your interpretation, sounds like that's a no. But then the question becomes, what are all the factors? And I asked, I mean, I asked, what can a craft grower? do to be best prepared and he he really leaned on compliance but after the fact stepping away from the interview i kicked myself for not having the language in front of me because i wanted to ask him what did that mean the market need and everything else so anyways i digress sorry for getting us off on a tangent that we don't know answers on um <laughs> 
but hey, you know maybe somebody oh, will and send us an absolutely. answer, you know? And that's the thing too that I love about it's engaging the community and having those conversations. And I, while we talk about increasing that, I also think that um, it's important to educate folks then to be like, hey, we also are not as aware of the legislation. And that doesn't mean that you can't be as involved. Because I've had conversation with people who feel like they can't contribute because they don't, they're not up to date with, with everything that's happening. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, get involved. People ask me like how I do what I do. And it's like, look, I literally, I just sent you a Zoom link, right, Lizbeth? Like I just, that's all, that's all I did. <laughs> We're sitting here talking now. And you know what? I think in a post-COVID world, we have become more appreciative of digital conversations because I've always loved video. Like I was trying to use video in 2017 in sales and marketing and people were like, ew, no, I don't want to click on your link. So I think now that we have evolved, it's really exciting that we can have these conversations. I did hear the beginning where you're like, this is the first time we've met of your past episode. Yeah. So it's like, how cool is it that even you and I, we have never met in person, not even in passing. This is our third time speaking and mm -hmm. we have such great rapport. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And there's always like, the first 20 minutes of meeting somebody in real life is always super weird. <laughs> I don't know. Awkward. Like My little brother does awkward turtle. Okay. I was wondering what that was. That's funny. That's funny. Well, cool. Um, so I, anything else that you want to mention, like with regard to, uh, you know, the association or anything that you're looking forward to? Because I feel like you know, I gave you the space to make that announcement and then we just dove right in the deep end of limited market and everything, limit, you know, all that stuff. So. Well, I'm thankful that you allowed me to make the announcement. I'd also love to extend overall some of the other projects that I'm working on. Yeah. One of the ones is coming up this week, depending on when you release it. And I know you'll help prepare for it. Um, also with my partner, Tiffany Woodman for MJ BizCon, we are hosting the Cannabella Oasis, which is a woman centered, um, cultural event that is going to be at the same weekend as MJ BizCon. So I'll share information on that. My so, focus is to build community through the organization and allow for us to get to know all the operators in the state and, and figure out, you know, where they are in the process and have those answers of like, Hey, as a unit, how, how much are we advancing? Um, I would also advocate as a whole that we're kinder to each other and we are um, giving each other grace to have a difference of opinion and having different conversations. And um, I not necessarily the phrase that I like to say is we're calling people into conversation as opposed to calling people out. We have to acknowledge that we are living in the upside down and everyone has so many things going on on top of trying to make life happen. So I take this moment to just say, Hey, keep trucking, ask for help and let's all grow together. How do you, you seem very, uh, in, in touch. I don't mean to be like cheesy at all, but you seem really in touch with yourself and stuff like that. Like, where does that come from? Oh, um, I am the oldest of four. My dad's the oldest of 10. I do really attribute a lot of my perspective and, and charisma and charm from my cultural upbringing of, of being Mexican and making sure that everybody feels included and how do you contribute as a whole to your community. And I have a lot of reasons to be jaded, right? But I think on the day-to-day, -day, I remain hopeful and engaged because we are building a better future together. And I don't think it's about being cheesy. I think it's that sometimes... 
people get stuck in their bubble, they get stuck in their perspective, or they're having a bad day. And all of a sudden, now you're projecting onto other people. I will say it's a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy and a lot of bud. Yeah, I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's awesome, though. Uh, just a funny note, I saw a reel that you made just because I was looking at some of the content that you've made, and your dad is uh, hilarious. Uh, it was just a small moment. You asked you asked all your family members who's going to ruin the trip, and I just loved your dad's reaction. It was something like... <laughs> I am my father's daughter. No, I thank you so much for the compliment on my reels. I make a lot of content just for the shits and giggles. And I get so many compliments for it because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even trying to do anything with it. And I had seen that format on TikTok. And of course I did ruin the trip, but um, it was just so funny to me because I never share my family. I'm very like reserved. I like to say that I am a, a private figure who who lives a private life but is very private so I'm very public you share a lot of my content a lot of people especially I think you can you may relate to this because you are a content creator in a sense like people feel like they know you when they meet you in person or even like they'll send you messages and sometimes they can step out of line because they act like they've known you forever and sometimes it's a little bit weird but what has been really rewarding for me um, because a lot of my marketing work has been on community building, right? And what does that even look like? What does that even mean? And it's creating relationships, fostering those experiences, even interactions like this that show people like, hey, you're part of something bigger. And I think especially on the cannabis side, it has not been that way. Um, on the career side, it was always very limiting, especially for me. Like I come from academia, I come from like a very career focus. So I didn't have that. I didn't have someone saying like, hey, here's how you can do this. Here's how you can do that. I had to win a spot in this in this team. And it was very much like, wow, it's cost millions of dollars to do this. My like people would kill to be me in this position. And I was able to do it on my terms on the back end uh, while still mentoring and still being an active member. So I think I jokingly said to you when we were trying to organize this, I'm like, I'm coming out from the shadows. I just personally feel like a lot of my work has been like stagehands, right? Like I'm running the production in the back, the stars run the show. I'm, I'm very much like, do you? Whereas now I think I'm being able and propelled and, and encouraged and pushed to a position of like, here is um, how I can contribute as a community member who has done it for so long. So I love having these conversations. I'm really excited about having these conversations further. I'm really excited about the market as a whole. Yes, there's all these flaws. Yes, there's all these reasons to be pissed off. But I think that the opportunity lies in being patient and consistent. We have Benzinga next week, which again is a whole other thing because the, the ticket is cray. But there's a lot of like after parties and, and events that we can attend. And, and again, making sure that we capitalize on people being in the city. Um, so well, I'll say is that I think that this is the time to extend our hands with each other and figure out a way that we can do this together. Because um, my partner, Tiffany Woman, always says like a single star in the sky is only so beautiful. But when you all put them together, it shines so much brighter. Yeah, well said. Well, how can people support support what you do? Um, not only you, uh, but, you know, I guess the i i g c a as as a whole um to to create substantive change 
So you can visit our website, ilcraftgrower.com, sign up for our email list. I'm going to be engaging the community in that as well, share more events and opportunities that are ahead. You can find me on Instagram as the Canna Marketer. And I am encouraging folks to be on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the biggest cannabis community that I think people have not really tapped into. I've gotten so much feedback and so many speaking opportunities from just being active on LinkedIn. Please add me on LinkedIn. I will be your friend. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get you added on there. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is one of the few social media sites that does not seem to mess with the cannabis content at all which is which is really nice yeah last week i had a, a chance to tour uh jc rad who supplies kronja as well and turkey bags i was nervous that it was no, no issue whereas like i've had issues with instagram like tiktok has very strict virtual like visual filters that i keep teaching people about i'm like y'all it's like chinese tech they're ahead yeah. Um, so they were getting flagged way quicker, but I just, I was like, I posted it and I was like, LinkedIn, just keep it up for like a day. But no, I, and I, that's another thing too. We, we had, um, the last time we talked, we said we were going to do a marketing trends talk. So that'll be our, that'll be our hat trick interview. What are, the, <laughs> what are the marketing trends that I have spotted? Yeah. 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 That the whole, I don't understand the, so the social media the censoring of cannabis on social media thing because one of the things that Aaron Richard, uh, the creator or one of the creators um, of the Weed Tube, told me is that it's pretty obvious. I mean, maybe you've seen this too. They don't really clamp down on legal operators, big legal operators, right? They just get people like you and I that are actually making content to help people. <laughs> Okay, here's my conspiracy theory, Cole, because we talked conspiracy theories last time. Yeah. I think that there's a short list of accounts. It's like a list somewhere that lives somewhere that's like, these are accounts that are cool. And anybody else is like, er. the other thing too with technology is that with anything, it's very specific. So to a yes, there is a no. So they're filtering smoke, any sort of, especially on TikTok, any sort of allusion to um, smoking. Because I've been I am a squeaky wheel. So I've been posting nonstop. I mean, I already got an account locked. I don't care. I didn't use the right or email that I care about to try to test that visual filter because Instagram doesn't have that yet. They, they're more um, caption based. So like they'll screen for cannabis. So that's why you see people spelling weed or, or cannabis funky. I do it as well. Like I'll use a little plant as opposed to spelling it out. That's yeah. another thing one pointed out. They're like, Hey, I noticed that you don't spell cannabis on Instagram anymore. And I said, yeah, cause I had a post, I had a recap month taken down because I did have like a, one of the t-shirts at cannabis. So it wasn't even the caption. It was now text. Wow. So they're screening. See, you got free game right there. Listeners, that's marketing games, technology that I had just spotted. Instagram is testing out more of that visual filter that TikTok has, which only makes sense though. Um, yeah. But I think that's the next wave of, of creation for content with how do you show stuff without smoking? But we'll see. Yeah, I just don't get the like purpose of it. You know, not to get too in the weeds of it. I just don't get the, the per, like, who are they protecting? <laughs> you know, like, do they have liability? Like, what is it? You know, I think, yeah, because it's like minors engage with it. But I also think it's the federal because of their terms of service. What it is and what they say legally is their terms of service does not condone legal activity. And so this is considered legal activity. So then this then goes to show 
once it becomes federal, does that mean that it's going to be a new wave of branding and marketing? Because even in LA, when I was driving through, they have billboards, they have like the, now the bus, the bus stops. I've been in the game since 2016 here. Like when we had a billboard in 2019, I was like, whoa. So we have not even surpassed that level of mass consumer. (laughs) You cracked me up. That was funny. When we had a billboard, I was like, whoa. (laughs) funny well, well i just wanted a billboard for mindful for so long and one they wouldn't approve it and then two it was so expensive because it was like high risk and then i remember driving down 55 because my parents live off one of those exits and just like all these dispensaries and being like wow yeah interesting so they were saying it was too like are what are the does it depend on who you work with like are there restrictions with I mean, obviously there are restrictions with what you can put on a billboard. They recently changed the laws actually. So when they started the medical program, there was no advertising and the way that advertising works, it's through a middleman. So you'll see a billboard, but someone owns that or it's paid through someone. So someone is leasing that. So that middleman gets to decide what goes on it. And at the time there was no regulation for marketing. So it was like, no, I'm not going to risk that. No one's done it. It was that gray area. It was very specific to no advertising, I think, during the medical program. And then when it mm. went recreational in 2019, it shifted. Um, and that's just because I had stayed on top of like advertising and marketing uh, at that time. But now I think I haven't seen any billboard that's wild, like the ones for the, which I'm trying to think of which dispensary, it's like off central um, in 55. It's like a picture of a, like a I don't think it's anybody smoking. I don't think I've seen any open consumption on these billboards. Now I'm going to do like an analysis, but I think it's yeah. more like general dispensary. Yeah. I think it's funny that there are billboards for dispensaries in Indiana. I'm pretty sure I saw some in Indiana. So I was like, isn't this illegal, but okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Indiana. Well, Lizbeth, I've had a really good time with you today. Um, Thank you for, you know, coming on and sitting down with me. And again, congratulations. Um, We should do this again sometime uh, in person. Maybe we could even have somebody else from IIGCA, um, you know, or or whatever. Uh, I think it'd be cool to talk again in the future. Always down to clown with you, Cole. Thank you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, um, I guess, you know, I'm going to spark it up before we close out. Um, you've said your social media handles, you've said the website, you've said the upcoming event this weekend and next week, Benzinga. Um, are there any other events? I'm going to try to get this, this episode out pretty soon. So the Cannabella Oasis is going to happen over MJ BizCon, Women Wellness Weed. Uh, it's an experience. We'll have a landing page that you can share with that as well. And keep up with Chap Cannabella Lux, which is, uh, I co-own that with my partner, Tiffany Woodman, and we're curating curating tons of events. Awesome. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, send me some, send me links on that. And folks, uh, we will have links in the podcast description for you to uh, find information on those events, um, those social media handles, and so much more. So, We will see you next time, everybody, on the Chillinoy podcast. Take care.